Thank you so much for your word. I pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit would come and rest upon me so I can bring your word to your people. And I pray, Father God, that you'd open our hearts and our minds and give us hope and give us joy and give us confidence in your word and all that you're doing in us and through us. Uh, we love you and we honor you and we praise you and we thank you. We do all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Paul writes here and he says, to close out, he says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. May God bless to us this reading from his holy word. Well, back in the Middle Ages, uh, under the reign of Charlemagne, it was said that after Charlemagne converted uh, to Christianity, he wanted all of his knights to convert to Christianity as well. And the, the knights agreed to convert to Christianity. And so part of that conversion, since most of them had not been baptized at any point in time, uh, part of that conversion was that they all needed to be baptized. And uh, the legend has it that the knights, when they were baptized, uh, they were baptized like this. They would be, they would be dunked into the water with their right hand sticking out in the air outside the water. That seemed kind of a strange thing, but apparently the reason that they kept their right hand out of the water was uh, that they wanted them whole, their whole selves to be baptized except for the hand that they had to wield the sword. You know, they didn't want that to be baptized because they were afraid that if that hand got baptized, then obviously they couldn't kill and do all the things that knights had to do in those days. That's an interesting story. I don't know if it's true or not. I suspect it probably does have a certain grain of truth to it. But even though that was kind of in your face and a bit weird, frankly, there's a lot of times that we as Christians, we take the same kind of approach. We say to God, okay, God, you can have all of my life. I give you everything. And God says, well, you know, what you, what you have in your hand is nice, but actually what I really want is what you have behind your back. You say, oh, no, I, I don't have anything behind my back. See, it's not there. And we play games with God, but actually we can't do that. And the truth is that so many times we want to give up everything in our lives to Jesus to follow him except those things that we don't want to give up. And that tends to be different for each one of us. Uh, for some people, it might be a certain relationship. For others, it might be a certain job. For others, it might be a certain church or a certain place to live. Uh, and the list can go on and on and on and on. And then we also add to this the struggle that we have in this world actually to maintain a certain degree of righteousness and sanctification. As we mentioned from the start of this series in Thessalonians, Paul is writing to a group of Christians in Thessalonica, which was a city that would have been very similar to London in some of its cultural issues. Uh, sex trade, the worship of idols, uh, money, prosperity, all those kinds of things that we deal with here in London, they were dealing with in Thessalonica. And they were dealing with this in a hostile environment. The city wasn't a Christian city. It was a pagan city. 
and they were aliens, if you will, in this pagan city, and they, the environment was hostile, and Paul was saying, okay, how do you live a life set apart for God in the midst of this hostile environment? How do you live a life of holiness unto God in this hostile environment? And all of 1 Thessalonians was written to help the Christians in Thessalonica address this issue. And this was for every Christian. That's why Paul says here at the end, I charge you under oath to make sure this letter is read to all the believers, all the brothers, all the Christians. He wanted this letter read to encourage them for how to live a life. And so uh, a life unto Jesus, a life unto God. And so they were probably torn between these two ideas, the certain things that maybe they didn't want to let go of, as well as the reality of living in a city that was very hostile to Christianity. And they're asking the question, how do we live sanctified lives, lives set apart for God, lives of holiness unto the Lord in this hostile environment, and also in a context where sometimes we act rather selfishly uh, in a self-centered way, uh, trying to protect the things that, that we have. And so he's been dealing with this throughout all of the letter, but as he closes the letter, he points us to probably the most important dynamic in all of this for how we live our lives unto God. He reminds us that even though Jesus died on the cross for us, even though we have been set free from the power of sin, even though our sins have been forgiven, even though we're now sons of God, even though we're now saints, we're now holy ones, even though we're now brothers and sisters in Christ, even though we now have the Holy Spirit living inside of us, even though we have the grace of God empowering us to live godly lives, even though we have all of those resources at our disposal, and even though Jesus has accomplished all of these things for us, at the end of the day, as hard as we might try, we cannot perfectly live these lives set apart unto God. As hard as we try living in the real world of the city around us, we get messy. We get dirty. Not always with physical dirt, although sometimes with physical dirt, but certainly with spiritual dirt, with sin, with unrighteousness, with unholiness, uh, all of these things are around us and all of us have these areas of our lives that we want to be better, we want to do better, but somehow we kind of get stuck from time to time. So what is God going to do about this? How is it possible that we then can live sanctified before God until we die or until Jesus comes again? And Paul tells us how in this blessing. This blessing is designed to encourage us and to remind us that we do not depend on our own sanctification, our own ability to live a sanctified life, our own ability not to sin, our own ability to live for Jesus. So what does he say? He says, first of all, now may the God of peace himself, God himself, it has to do something. He has to sanctify us completely. Completely. The word completely means through and through, over every bit of us. This word does not mean sanctify us in a way that we're completely sanctified and we're never going to sin again. 
That's not what the word means. It means that God is going to sanctify us. May God sanctify us, set us apart for himself and everything about our lives. Our desires, our actions, our attitudes, our hopes, our dreams, our property, uh, our, our relationships, everything we have, every resource we have at our disposal, God himself will sanctify us, will make us holy. God will make us holy. He will set us apart unto himself. And this is what God will do, and this is what God has to do, and this is what God has done in his son Jesus Christ. Our sanctification is something that was accomplished when we became Christians, but it's something that is also ongoing and something that will be fulfilled on the day that Jesus Christ comes again, or we stand before the Lord and see him face to face. And Paul says here, may God sanctify you completely. You can't do it yourself. You can't work hard enough for it. You can't be perfected in it. So God needs to do it. And let God do it and keep on doing it. The promise here is that God is the one who can sanctify us. That at the end of the day, when we look at the muck, when we look at the dirt and everything like that, it's God who cleans it off. It's God who does that for us. And Paul is encouraging us in this blessing to trust the Lord, that the Lord is going to set aside, set apart every part of our life for himself, for his glory, and make it holy. Even bad stuff that happens, even the struggles we have, God can take them and sanctify them and use them for our growth and for the blessing of others. That's the first part of the blessing. Then there's a second part of the blessing. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless until the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So the second part of the blessing is our whole spirit, soul, and body. Paul is showing us that as human beings, we have three aspects, if you will, of our humanity. First of all, there's our spirit. And the spirit is the part of us that was created in the image of God. It's the part of us that died through sin. It's the part of us that is made, uh, made alive again through faith in Jesus Christ. It's the part of us that becomes a new creation where the old is gone and the new has come. Our spirit is that part where the Holy Spirit comes, Jesus comes and dwells in us and makes us alive. That's our spirit. And then there's our soul. And our soul really consists of what we would call our mind, our emotions, and our will. It's what we think, what we feel, and what we choose to do. That's our soul. What we feel, what we think, and what we choose to do. And it's interesting that Paul starts there with the spirit, because if your spirit is not made holy and your spirit's not kept blameless, that will influence how you feel, how you think, and how you act. And then Paul says, and then your body, and that's the flesh and blood part of our humanity, our body. And he says, now, may your spirit, soul, and body be kept, guarded as blameless until Jesus Christ comes again. So what's the second thing that God is going to do? The second thing that God does is wash away our sins. The second thing that God does is 
at the fundamental level of every part of our humanity, he makes sure that the righteousness of Jesus Christ that was won through the cross, that we receive by grace through faith in Jesus, our union with Christ Jesus, that we receive by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, all the benefits of that union, that all of those things will be guarded, will be protected, will be continued as blameless, that is, as holy, as without fault, before God until God comes again. This means that God is able to make up for every fault that we have, every mistake that we make, every wrong thing that we do, uh, every wrong attitude. God can work in us and God is determined to work in us so that we will be blameless when Jesus Christ comes again and we will be able to stand before God through Jesus Christ and say, not guilty because we're in union with Jesus Christ. And this is not something that we accomplish in our own strength. This is something that God accomplishes in us. And so there's this twofold blessing that Paul invokes on us. The first blessing is that God would sanctify us completely. Our hopes, our dreams, uh, all of our property, all of our relationships, that everything could be sanctified by God, made holy by God, set apart for his purposes. And then once God has sanctified us completely, that God would then keep us in that relationship with him, keep us in that blamelessness with him through the blood of Jesus Christ all the way to the end, all the way until Jesus Christ comes again. Not only in our spirit, but also in our mind, will, and emotions, and also in our bodies themselves, even as they decay, even as they're subject to aging, even as they live in this world, that our spirit, souls, and bodies would be kept blameless. And this is extraordinary. It's extraordinary for us because we don't see how it's possible. It's extraordinary for us because so often it seems to go against our experience of stumbling yet again, of sinning yet again, of, of having a bad attitude yet again. But then Paul gets to the promise that's inherited in the blessing. And this is the next verse. He who calls you is faithful. The God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit who has called us to be his disciple. The God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit who has called us to be his son. The God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit who has called us to be saints, called us to be holy ones. This God is faithful even when we're not faithful. This God is faithful, and because God is faithful, we can rest in confidence that God is doing it, and God will do it. That God is sanctifying us and keeping us blameless, and God will continue to sanctify us and keep us blameless, no matter what we're going through, no matter where we live, no matter what challenges we face. And so effectively, he's telling the Thessalonians, hey guys, I know you're working hard at this. I know that it's a struggle. I know that you're trying to keep the faith. But rest in this promise that our God is faithful. And so he will sanctify you and he will keep you blameless. And you will stand before Jesus holy, holy as his disciples. 
And that's a promise that we can rest in as well. Father God, thank you so much that we know that even though we fail so often to walk in sanctification, to walk in holiness, that you never fail us and that you are with us no matter where you call us to go, no matter what you call us to do, that we can have confidence in your faithfulness, that we can have confidence that the blood of Jesus washes us clean so that we're blameless. We can have confidence that the death of Jesus on the cross has led to our sanctification. And in this confidence, let us live for you, no matter what. In Jesus' name, amen.